All right, as the ushers come forward and collect the offering, I have several announcements I want to make. Grab your bulletin, multitask, offering, and bulletin viewing. Number one, the schedule today is a little different than it typically is on Sundays. Grade school and preschool youth groups take place right after second service at 12. There is signs and songs uh, teen practice at 415 today. We do have junior high and senior high reveal at 530 as usual uh, Sunday evening tonight. Tuesday, Illini Christian Ministries is hosting a foster care and adoption informational meeting at 6 p.m. in the Family Life Center. There are no strings attached with this. There's no cost involved. If you are interested in seeing if foster care or adoption is something for your family, this is a great free event to just go get questions answered, and it's this Tuesday night, 6 p.m. This Saturday, 5K to raise 5K. I need a bunch of you to sign up to, to run this 5K or to walk this 5K. I haven't trained at all, and I'm going to run on, on Saturday, okay? So um, join me. Uh, you could even train a little bit this week. It'll be a good time. And then finally, Ladies Escape. Uh, the women's ministry has started some, some new events. They did a Ladies Escape in February, and they're doing a Ladies Escape on Saturday, May 18th. Tips and techniques from Joyce Trummel on navigating your way through the garden. So you can go home, ladies, and grow vegetables, and your husbands can eat vegetables. That's what uh, a takeaway from this would be. So it is Saturday, May 18, and I really hope a lot of the ladies will sign up for that. You can sign up after service today in the foyer. I'd like my friend Jeff Mayfield to make his way up to the stage at this time. I'm really excited that Jeff is going to be able to continue our Not a Fan series. did an awesome job during the first service, and I know he's going to do a great job today with a message entitled The Comfortable Cross. I've known Jeff a long time. I was 17 when we met for the first time, and the fact that he still talks to me and likes me, considering he knew me as a 17-year-old, is a miracle in itself. I will tell you two quick things real quickly. Um, Probably one of the biggest highs and one of the biggest lows in my life in the last seven years. The high was the day I had my trial sermon here in August of 2006. And the low was the funeral visitation for my father three and a half years ago. And Jeff Mayfield was at both events. He made the drive down from Wisconsin to be here for my trial sermon. And he spent the entire time with us during the visitation. He's a true friend. He's a brother in Christ. And he's an incredible preacher. I want to pray for him right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, the opportunity right now to die into your word and to to really talk about what the cross is and what it means and maybe what we've done to it um, as American Christians. And I thank you for Jeff. I thank you for his incredible love that he has for you, the love that he has for your word and this message that he's prepared. I, I just pray that you would anoint him right now and that your words would be his words and that we would be moved by your words this morning, Father. We love you so much. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Will you welcome Jeff Mayfield, please? Thank you, Greg. If you want to hear something really dangerous, I, I would take it a step further than even Greg took it. And uh, that is, we're not just friends, we're brothers. And uh, so if that doesn't scare you, probably nothing else will. Um, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be hosted by Clinton First Christian Church. Uh, I was thinking the last few weeks that I have known members from this church I have known ministers from this church. I have known staff members uh, from this church for many, many years. And it hasn't been, like Greg preached last week or the week before, uh, people that I've known about, they've been relationships, they've been friendships that have been an encouragement to me. And so I want to say thank you uh, to Clinton First Christian Church for what you have meant to God's kingdom 
Um, I hope it's a legacy that you will leave for future generations. I was with the uh, high school students this morning, got to speak to the graduates, and uh, you've left them a very rich legacy, and I hope that they will carry the torch now and be willing to pass that on uh, to other generations. But Greg has given us a task this morning, an assignment that we need to, uh, to get to right now. Uh, we're in the uh, series, Not a Fan, and we should always put but a follower on that because that's what this series is about. It's about not just being uh, into Jesus' celebrity, but being an actual disciple, being an actual follower of his. And if you're a guest today, your first time ever at First Christian Church here in Clinton, you may not know anything about this series. You may not know the, the preacher who, who preached this, Kyle Eidelman. Kyle's the son of Ken Eidelman, who was the longtime president of Ozark Christian College down in Joplin, Missouri. Kyle's actually one of the preachers at one of our largest Christian church, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, obviously, Greg will have a huge advantage here this morning because any mistake that I make, he'll be able to cover up the next two weeks as he closes out the, the series. But um, I think that Eidelman's premise for today's message, or at least what he wanted us to consider at this juncture, is simply this. Have we made the cross too comfortable? We're certainly capable of examining that premise ourselves, so let's do that this morning. I'd like to start off by posing two questions to you, if I will. Is this, is it possible that we have too much comfort in our lives today? And number two, could it be that we have invested a little bit too much in our quest for a convenient lifestyle. Now, I have not spoken to Kyle Eidelman about the Not uh, a Fan series. I've known Kyle since he was a little kid. Uh, I did get to sit with him at the premiere of The Passion of the Christ. Remember that movie that came out a few years ago? Uh, I got to sit next to Kyle and David Stone with Mel Gibson in the room. So if you flag me down later, I'll tell you that amazing story uh, later. But I have not spoken to him about this series. But I can tell you this. Since this is the topic that uh, was given to us today, the comfortable cross, when I think of comfort, when I think of convenience, I think back to that old commercial. You remember that old lending tree commercial? Uh, it starred Stanley Johnson. And Stanley was the guy that has everything. Guys, I think we have that commercial. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Come to Now, I know that commercial is about getting out of debt. I know that if you go to Lending Tree, they're going to give you some great mortgage that's going to be less than what you're paying right now for an interest rate and all that kind of stuff. But don't you just love the smile on Stanley Johnson's face? Don't you just love the way that he enjoys his comfortable life, his comfortable family, his new car, his comfortable community? He is a guy that really embraces the comfortable life. But that's what comfort does to us. 
It swims in when we invite it in, in a much bigger form than we can possibly imagine. It twists and turns and wraps itself around us in much the same way that a python wraps around its prey. And before you know it, it's too late. We've completely succumbed to the ways of comfort. Now, I realize that Stanley Johnson is a fictitious character, but if he goes to a fictitious church, it's likely that his comfortable life has affected his church life. And as our teaching today demonstrates, it more than likely affects how he views the cross. Now, we may not have all the possessions that Stanley Johnson has, but I think we can relate to him, can't we? He's chasing the American dream, and our pursuit of comfort may actually be affecting our church life. And there's a good chance it's affecting our view of the cross. We're going to examine that passage that Greg read for us a little bit earlier, a little more closely this morning, in hopes and in prayer that it will shake us out of our stupor. I'm trusting that God will penetrate our hearts and minds and call us to his mission of the cross. And trust me, it's not a comfortable one. Would you turn with me back to that main text today? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want us to look at verse 18. We find these words. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can I just tell you that those first century Christians... Those early Christians were not into comfort like we are today. Oh, sure, when somebody invented a new convenience that eliminated work or made work a little bit easier, they love that, but not at the expense of their faith. When you go on and read the rest of Paul's encouragement to the church there at Corinth, when you read throughout the New Testament, you see that these new and early Christians were totally sold out to their faith. They did not live conflicting lives. They did not compromise. They were totally in to the message. And they knew what the cross meant. They knew it meant shame, defeat, and an ugly death. The cross was brutal. It was lethal. I thought it would be good for us to just kind of step back for a moment and take a quick history lesson so that we might be able to compare and contrast what is going on here. Why are we even talking about the comfortable cross? Historians tell us that the cross and crucifixion goes all the way back in time to the Persians. Ironically enough, that would be located about where Iran is today. The merchants from Phoenicia came, and they were very intrigued by the cross. So they took it back to Greece. And we're told that Alexander the Great was so enamored by the cross, he loved it when hardcore criminals got their, due dust, got their due justice of torture and pain and suffering on the cross. It was right up his alley. And of course, the Romans were excited about it, and they took it back to the Mediterranean Sea area, to their realm, and to their kingdom. And so by the time Jesus Christ comes along, it was relatively new to that area of the world. It is said that the Romans used about four different ways to crucify somebody. And it all depended on the, the shape of the cross. 
uh, the historical record and the biblical record tell us that Christ was crucified on a T or a cross-shaped cross. That meant that the long pole, which is the spite, was permanently affixed to the ground. It would be much like a telephone pole when it is permanently embedded in the ground before wires are stretched and attached. And then Jesus would come along, or the person that's going to be executed, and he would carry what you and I would call the crossbeam, is known as the patabolum. Did you realize that the patabolum weighed between 75 and 125 pounds? Depending on whether the wood was wet or dry, depending on what kind of wood it was, depending on the, the cut or the thickness of that crossbeam. And don't you get a little bit angry with skeptics and critics who have challenged this? They've said stuff like, how could a strong carpenter like Jesus have a struggle carrying that crossbeam? Well, you and I know the answer to that. We know that Jesus was whipped to a pulp beforehand, which, by the way, was a common occurrence for those being crucified. But he was also gouged by a crown of thorns that were thrust into his head. The skull damage is hard to estimate. He was also beaten, kicked, and pummeled. I'm not a doctor, though I once stayed in a Holiday Inn Express. I will tell you that if a doctor was able to assess Jesus' condition, okay, he would say this man should not even be out of bed, much less dragging that cross to the execution site. He took all that abuse and more and carried that cross. He got a little help along the way, but somehow Jesus kept going. Insults were hurled at him. People threw rocks. There were jeering, laughter, and smart remarks. Jesus literally carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. That's how much he loves you and me. That's how much he loves us. And those first century Christians, they knew that if you died on something like that, you had no power, you had no recourse, no one could save you. It was the most hideous death that any of them could imagine. And so here they were, imagine this, they were entertaining the Son of God, the Messiah, the Holy One, the Chosen One. How could he die like that? There must be some mistake. Somebody forgot to read the script. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? They could not figure it out. Like many people in today's world, many of the people back then totally rejected the gospel. Totally rejected Jesus. It didn't make any sense to them. If God came to earth in the form of a man, they reasoned, then he couldn't die like that. That was their reasoning. And many people in 2013 are still coming up with that same argument. But there is an appropriate response that can be given. So the next time you're having a discussion with one of your in-laws or one of your work colleagues and this discussion comes up, you can have an answer for them. And here's the answer. God's plan is not man's plan. That's the answer. God's plan is not man's plan. It's not about whether it's rational. It's not about whether it's reasonable. It's not about all the facts and does it all make sense. 
the scripture that Greg read for you this morning, what did it say? What did it say about all this? It's what? It's foolishness. That's right. It's foolishness. That's what goes in the blank on your outline. All of this is foolishness. The great theologian, the great uh, preacher, the great author, A.W. Tozer, tried to help us. You remember some of the things that he wrote? I think Greg has quoted him before. I think some of the other preachers here have quoted him before. Here's what he said. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. Don't you think Tozer was a little bit ahead of his time? He knew that we would embrace comfort in our lives. He knew that the cross would become a comfortable cross. Maybe it's because we struggle and that we can't really even understand the concept of the cross. We have no idea how savage crucifixion really was. In fact, going back to our earlier discussion today about Stanley Johnson and comfort, we have actually modernized the whole concept. If I were to use a, like a Dr. Seuss word, you know how he always just makes up words, we have comfortableized the cross, haven't we? That's what we've done. In today's world, we see the cross worn by people as a necklace, as a pair of earrings, as a tie uh, clip type thing, as a tattoo, as yard landscape, or as an ornament hung on the wall or on the stage. We fight about it. As some denominations declare that Christ needs to be on the cross, while others denounce that depiction saying that Christ has risen, so the cross should remain empty. Perhaps instead of arguing and fighting about it, we should learn a lesson from our Polish brothers and sisters. Are you familiar with the name Jarl Zelski? Jarl Zelski was the prime minister of Poland, and uh, um, he made an edict. He made a decree where he had the crosses removed. They had already been removed from the hospitals and the factories and public places in Poland. He had them removed from the schools. The bishops found out about this, and they had been traveling throughout the country. They came to the prime minister, and they said, Prime Minister, do you realize how much anger, resentment, and bitterness you've caused by taking the crosses out of our public places, and especially out of our churches and schools? He said, okay, but his pride would not allow him to totally erase it from the books. He just said, we won't enforce it. And you guys all know what the rest of that story would be. There was one administrator in one school, a a very staunch communist, and he was one of those kind of people, you've seen these kind of guys, a law is a law. And he decided, I want all those crosses out of the school. And so he had them all taken out. The parents got upset, and they put them back. He took them down again, and the students found out where he put them. When he showed up for school the next day, 400 of the 600 students in his school had gathered in an assembly area. They were holding up those crosses and singing hymns and praising God. He was so mad, he called the police. The police showed up at the school in riot gear, and the students simply took their crosses and walked out the hallway and went down the street. They were headed towards the cathedral. Uh, Charles Coulson tells about this story in his book, I think it's called Conflicting Kingdoms, and he said when they walked down to the cathedral, unbeknownst to them, 2,500 other students from the area schools met them there, and they took turns holding up those crosses and singing hymns to God. What do you think the photographers, all the press did? 
They showed pictures of these kids, and it just spread like wildfire. I don't think it went the way that administrator thought it would go. I don't think it went the way that prime minister thought it would go. But Charles Colson ends his story by telling you this, kind of the rest of the story. He said the bishop that spoke that day ended the, the message with this little sentence. There can be no Poland without the cross. Amen? I'd like to suggest to you this morning, Clinton First Christian Church, there can be no America without the cross. If we stand up, if we speak up, if we live our lives and shine our light bright, there can be no United States without the cross. Clinton First Christian Church has held the cross up high for decades, and I commend you for it. And FCC is still holding it high today, and I hope that will be the case for generations to come. But what if one of those early Christians walked into our assembly this morning? When I was reading the Not a Fan material, I think I recall Kyle saying that if somebody were to come into our midst from the first century and looked and saw our crosses, they would think we were mentally disturbed. I think, if I remember correctly, I think Kyle said it would be like if we were wearing um, um, a guillotine or um, an electric chair as a necklace around our necks. Those early Christians understood that the cross meant weakness. Can I humbly suggest that God is exactly making his point That could be why it is foolishness and why it's so hard for us to understand. Because the fact is, that's what makes the cross so beautiful. God takes what is preposterous, what is inconceivable, what is shameful, and he says, I'll use that. He takes what is foolish, what is demeaning, what is atrocious, and he says, watch this. And he turns it into the power of salvation. Go back to your text. Let's look at one more verse. Verse 22. We find these words. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Aren't you glad that Greg Taylor preaches Christ crucified. I am, and I preach it too. Furthermore, I am not ashamed to proclaim Christ crucified. If the cross is a stumbling block or foolishness to you, then you may have some business to tend to this morning. We need to stand up. We need to speak up for the cross. Did you hear about the guy who came up with the great Mother's Day gift. What are we, just a couple of weeks away from Mother's Day? Is that right? Like the second weekend in May, is that right? So this could be a public service announcement for you guys this morning. For for those of you that are, you know, kind of procrastinators, surely none of you are, but uh, uh, you might be like this guy. He was trying to come up with the perfect Mother's Day gift. 
And he had been saving for months, maybe even longer, because he wanted to give his mother the perfect gift. He, he had saved, get this, $10,000. And he thought, you know, $10,000 would go a long way. It could be a, a nice uh, down payment on a car. But then he realized she had just bought a car like a year before. And then he thought, you know, maybe I could get her a trip. She loves to travel. But she had just told him that she was tired of all the trips and really didn't want to go anywhere. So he was struggling, couldn't come up with anything. He happened to be in the mall, and he went in the pet store. Yeah, I know. And he went in the pet store, and he, um, he saw that they were having a sale. He saw these beautiful birds. They were really, really colorful, and they were having this huge sale. And he thought, this would be perfect. My mother is kind of lonely, and these birds that are for sale, they sing, they dance, they speak. This is going to be perfect. So he purchased two birds. 5000 is my math correct, $10,000. And he had those birds delivered to his mother. He was so excited. He couldn't wait for, it to, for to hear from his mom and to see what she thought about this great, this perfect Mother's Day gift that he had gotten her. So he calls her up and he said, Mom, how did you like your Mother's Day gift? How did you like the birds? She said, they were good. <laughs> and he said, what? He said, please, Mom, tell me no. She said, yeah, they were tasty. He said, Mom, you ate birds that sang. You ate birds that, that dance. You ate birds that speak. And she paused for a minute, and then she blurted into the phone, well, they should have said something. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to say something. We need to stand for the cross. And believe me, that is not comfortable. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan thought he had won. The leaders back then thought they were rid of the Christ problem. I'm sure the Romans were glad to get rid of him. Still today, people totally write Christianity off because to them it makes no reasonable, rational sense. Although doesn't Romans 1 say we are without excuse? Doesn't God's word say that he has revealed himself to us in many ways? So, I have questions for them, and if you'll indulge me, I have a few for us as well this morning. Who but God himself could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who but God could take a cross that represented guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who but God could take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who but God could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? And who else but God himself could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? Can I tell you that I've read ahead? No man can. Only God can. Only God can. When everyone thought and when everyone thinks that they have caught God in the middle of his greatest weakness, he unleashes his strength. He unleashes his almighty power. The cross was God's golden moment. No one expected it. No one saw it coming. And no one has an answer for it other than the creator of the universe himself. Here's why that matters. So, if you haven't heard a word I've said this morning, would you be willing to hear just this? What God did for the cross, he can do for you. What God did for the cross, he wants to do for you. 
So what does that mean? You might be here this morning, you've had a terrible day. You've had a terrible week. Maybe you've had a terrible decade. It's over for you. You see no end in sight. You see no light at the end of the tunnel. You're done. Then you're exactly where you need to be for God to be the strongest. What God did for the cross, he can do for you. Let's pray. Father, we don't want a comfortable cross. We want to see you unleash your mighty power. We know you took what the world saw as weakness, what the world saw as defeat, and you turned it into the ultimate victory. We praise you, Lord. We give you unprecedented glory for what you have done. And we, we come to you this morning, Lord, ashamed to be into the celebrity thing and to be fans. We want to be followers, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will empower us to be mighty followers of you. And Lord, we just give up this time to you as well. If there's somebody in our midst that needs to take care of business, would you, would you make that happen? Would you allow that to happen in our midst today? And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jeff, thank you so much for that powerful word this morning. Um, we're going to close our service with a, a song of commitment. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And you're going to stand, and I hope you are amazed when you hear about the cross. I hope you are amazed when, when Jeff shares what Jesus Christ went through for you. And so this morning, if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward during this song or to catch up with me afterwards. I'll be up front at the end of the service, and I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you would like someone to pray with you this morning, Maybe it's something in your faith journey. Maybe, maybe it's just life, and you need some prayer power. Jeff's up front. He would love to pray with you. I'm up front. I would love to pray with you as we stand together, and the team leads us in our song of commitment. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean, singing how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall
shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you are chose to worship with us today, and uh, I just thank Jeff for the message. Give him a hand. Worked really hard in that message. Appreciate it very much. And I'm going to ask my daughter, Jordan, to escort Jeff to the back because he's going to do a little handshaking, and I hope you will seek him out and thank him very much for uh, the message that he brought today. Again, a lot's happening in the life of our church. Be sure that you check out the bulletin. One final announcement that I want to make, there is a brand new Bible study that's going to be starting on Monday evenings, next Monday, May 6th. And uh, James and Brenda Phelps, who have, have helped try to get Celebrate Recovery going, they are behind this. You have a bulletin insert. Really spend some time looking at that and praying if, uh, if that's something that would be a benefit for you. We'd love to have more and more people be a part of this program, and it is a